certainly got a shift uh, like every game and um, there was a lot of fighting going on and it was well out of hand but I could tell the coach liked the guys that fought so it was right at the end of the game I, I finally got a shift I'm like well if fighting gets you shifts on this team, then that's what I'll go do. And I went and picked Francis Lemieux, who I ended up meeting in Germany later on, but I just went and yeah, I went and started once so that maybe the coach would realize I was willing to do anything too. Hi there, welcome to the show. I'm Lucas Vivali, and this is Crunch Chronicles presented by Wendy's. Today on the show, we catch up with a player who, well, he didn't spend a ton of time in Syracuse, but over the years has continued to make a name for himself in the hockey community, the very entertaining podcast of his own. We're talking about Brent Walton. And as an aside, players like Brent are what really makes Crunch Chronicles so special. I mean, it's easy to, to follow someone like Pat Maroon or Yanni Gord, who've really made names for themselves in the NHL after coming through Syracuse and being a Crunch alum. But Brent Walton only skated in 19 games for the Crunch, spanning the end of the 2005-2006 season and the 06-07 season. And he didn't really make a big splash on the ice during his time with the Crunch, but he has become and did become a fixture in Europe, playing in Germany, Denmark, and Wales from 2007 to 2016. Since retiring, he created and hosts the Two Ales and Hockey Tales with Wally podcast that has been ranked at the top of the hockey podcast charts in Europe. We'll discover the roots of that and more during this show. I hope you enjoy our conversation. But first, a quick word from Wendy's and Lee Baldwin and Company. Wendy's Pretzel Bacon Pub Cheeseburger is back. Dive into a bite packed with warm, savory beer cheese, applewood smoked bacon, crispy fried onions, and hot and juicy beef. All perfectly paired with a Dr. Pepper at participating U.S. Wendy's for a limited time. Dr. Pepper is a registered trademark of Dr. Pepper 7-Up, Inc. Lee Baldwin and Company is a proud sponsor of the Syracuse Crunch. For all of your investment needs, check them out at investtoday.com. Lee Baldwin and Company, you do the dreaming, they'll do the math. Well, it's uh, really nice to be on the other side of one of these for once and uh, not have to prepare. I'm just <laughs> showing up today, so this is nice, but yeah, I, uh, what's going on in my world is I missed the game and hockey so much. Um, I guess it was January 2021. I started two ales and hockey tales with Wally. And uh, in that amount of time, I've done over 200 episodes. I've reconnected with friends all over the world. Um, been ranked number one in the UK, Denmark, a few other countries, Belgium. And um, it's been very bizarre, but it's been the best thing I've ever started. I got to reconnect with all my buddies all over the world and uh I love it. I, I love doing it. And I do a lot of them because uh, I enjoy it. So thanks for having me. I like this stuff, as you can tell. Yeah, no, it's great. And, and it's great to get a chance to to get caught up with uh, with what you're doing. What what was the what was the beginning of all of it? How did it come about? You know, the podcast? What, what was I guess the what planted the seed that made you want to do this? Uh, to be honest, it was missing my friends and, um, I was listening to that one. That's very, very popular. That's all over the world, uh, that everybody's heard about spitting chiclets. And, um, to be honest, every guy that went on was an NHL superstar from now. And, uh, I think when it started, it maybe wasn't quite that way. And there were some guys around say my level. Um, but 
the stories of the millions of dollars and the things they have is not the life we lived in minor pro. It's not the life we lived in Europe. Um, and I thought I would get guys on that have had more my um, experiences. And uh, I tell you, there's some wild stories on her. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm sure there are. I mean, it, it's yeah, definitely more relatable for folks like uh, you and me who are in the minors and, and you, you get all those stories and they're just, some of them are so unique, of course. Uh, you recently had on uh, Jim Sorosi, the Crunch's uh, chief operating officer. What what led to that, and and uh, anything good from that uh, episode? Of course, we'll link it in, uh, in oh, the show notes for this one too. Yeah, no, uh, Jim was a fantastic guy, and that's actually what I try to do is have on not just players. I've had on linesmen, referees, GMs. I've had on equipment managers. I've had on basically it fans from different teams. It's, it's more about the good people I met along the way. And, uh, Jim was one of those guys. He, uh, my time in Syracuse didn't go that well, as you can tell by 19 games played zero points, one fight minus seven. <laughs> but, uh, Jim was one of those guys that always made you feel comfortable. Welcome. Um, you know, he helped young guys just showing up in Syracuse, uh, feel as comfortable as they could be, I guess. And that's why I reached out to him. Um, and I remember some of the tales of like guys, we'd be in his office where Mark Hardigan would be on waivers trying to figure out if he's going to the NHL or if he's coming back to Syracuse. And he gets to be involved in a lot of guys' big day of getting a call to the NHL. And I, I thought it'd be interesting. And I think he's a great guy. No argument here. And it, he is a big reason why this, uh, it's hard to believe the Cruncher heading into year number 29 now. And he's been here for almost all of it. He's a big reason why that's uh, that's the case. And uh, continues to just do a great job here with the Crunch, of course. All right. So you've got the podcast, which we'll, again, we'll link to in the show notes. Uh, what else is going on for you, uh, you know, outside of that? what's What else is keeping you? You busy these days oh geez um so my last couple of years i was in cardiff wales for hockey and i did my mba in project management um and shout out to the uk teams that do that for players it's uh you know when you're in your 30s and you're joining the real world it's not easy for us um so the mba at least gets your foot in the door so i ended up starting to work at a place called Superheat. Um, we're a heat treatment company that's global for on-site heat treatment and refineries and power plants. And, you know, started on the fourth line and worked my way up. And uh, I'm now the engineering supervisor. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what I do for the day-to-day. -day. And then whenever I can slip in a pod in the shed, I do it. <laughs> and I got two kids and a wife, and I coach minor hockey. Oh, so. yeah, no no big deal. <laughs> I got a few things cooking. A <laughs> couple things going on. Well, that's awesome. And, and yeah, you, we'll, we'll certainly, you know, talk about your time over there in Europe as well. But how we always, whenever we have someone on, it's that, that bridging the gap from playing days and then shifting into the real world. How much of a dramatic shift is that for anyone? And how does being in Europe it's, and that NBA, how did that help you? Well, it, it helped me because, you know, my university degree from Western Michigan was, geez, it was a decade old at that point. And uh, my resume basically said I could play hockey really good. Um, and I think for all of us, you know, whether we made the millions of dollars, which I did not, um, you loved hockey and that's why you did it. Like for me, it didn't feel like I had a job my whole life because that's what I wanted to do. And uh, it's the same now with podcasting. It doesn't feel like work. I don't get paid for it. I do it voluntarily because I love it. And 
I remember the first day I got paid to play hockey and I was like, this is insane. They're going to actually pay me to play for the Syracuse crunch. <laughs> um, Cause I just loved it. But when that's over 40 hours a week's a lot different. And then you're just sitting there. Nobody's hitting you. Nobody's competing with you. You're not trying to win a game. You're just like getting through a day and it's, it's a whole different experience. I went through a very hard time. Uh, if you look at pictures of me that first year or two, wasn't looking too good <laughs> uh but i i found my passion in the shed and uh get to see all the guys and i found my way to be a part of hockey again yeah it's just a really busy lifestyle now <laughs> yeah no it's it's great and and we always hear the big adjustment you're such a hockey players are so regimented when you're players you've got the schedule you got to be here at the rink at this time do that do that everything is laid out for you and then when you get out of the game it's whoa what no one's telling me what time to be here and there and, and everywhere it's a big adjustment and one thing is they don't pay you to exercise anymore so you can really put on the pounds <laughs> that is a good point <laughs> yeah yeah uh, well brent walton our guest here on crunch chronicles we'll, we'll start to shift our focus to your time with the crunch parts of two seasons of course and and you mentioned western michigan you, you played your senior year there and then you joined the crunch at the end of a season Take us through the process for you of, of you know, you're, you're playing college hockey, you're looking to what's next and what's next for you at that point ended up being here in Syracuse at the end of a year. Yeah, well, I did have a good college career um, individually. Our team did not have much success. Um, so we were done pretty early. And then um, my agent had told me I'd be going somewhere that it was going to happen the day or the next day after the season, I'd be going. And then nothing happened. It had been a, a week and then, and then another week and still nothing had happened. And, you know, I'd been two weeks, not on the ice, not playing hockey. Our season had been over. Um, so, you know, my roommates and everybody's college careers had, were over. And uh, then it looked like I wasn't going anywhere. So then I, I did partake in some fun with the boys because I, I, you know, a week and a half into it, I didn't think I'm really going anywhere. And then all of a sudden I get the call, haven't been on the ice in two weeks and, um, I had, I get the call. I'm going to Syracuse and the deal was they wanted uh first shot at signing me July 1st. If I'd come for a, a, a sneak peek at the end of that season. Well, then when I got there and my body doesn't really look like a normal hockey player's body and, um, I didn't play well and, um, they decided they did not in fact want to sign me July 1st. Um, they had guaranteed me an AHL one-way deal. So they were stuck with me. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I would say the hardest part for me adjusting um, was not believing in myself as a little guy from Elmira, Ontario, that never thought the NHL was realistic because I was always told I was too small and I don't have the body. I it was just never had an agent contact me until near the end of my junior year of college. Um, never was on the radar for much to go to the HL. I did not believe in myself enough. And then when I got there, they wouldn't let me use my sticks. I had used Bauer sticks all through college. I used the same curve my whole career. I get to Syracuse and they're like, well, you can't use those sticks. I'm like, what do you mean? I'm a step away from the NHL all of a sudden. And I'm on a tryout here, like to show my stuff. And now I can't use my own curve and my own sticks. And the equipment manager, Roddy, I believe his name was, he said, you got to go down into the stick rack and just find a right-handed stick. Well, I went down there. There wasn't many right-handed guys in the team and the <laughs> curves they were using were bizarre. And then I had to go out there and play with that stick in the AHL for the rest of that season. And I personally thought it was embarrassing that they'd make a guy do that when you've worked that hard to get that close to your dreams and you can't use your own sticks. 
Yeah, so. that that's uh, I hadn't heard that one before. I mean, I we know some guys come in and and with all the the sponsors and whatnot. Was it was it just because Bauer wasn't in the league, or was it just you're well, a rookie, the, you can't use your stick? The, well, because you had to use CCM or Reebok, and they would have had to pre-make my sticks. Where I didn't know I was going to the HL, I didn't know I couldn't use my sticks. All of a sudden, I'm there, and I got some. I remember plays where I'd have a guy wide open in front and I, I couldn't make the pass because I did the puck would almost hit him in the face or I'd get a two on one the first couple of games and I'd have a chance to score, which realistically could have changed the path of my career if I put a couple of those in. But I was using a stick I could not pick corners with. But shout out to all the seniors that didn't use CCM or Reebok that go to the HL. They say it's only back then. I think there was five guys got to use a different stick. And I was obviously not that guy on a tryout, so it was what it was. <laughs> yeah, that that's uh, well, that's I'm sure very frustrating at the po- at that time. But uh, you had to you had to work through it. You had to make do with what you had, right? You're there, yeah. and you got to do your best. Yeah, for sure. I, I want to go back to you know that that kind of time in between the end of your college season and you know joining the Crunch. How much of a how worried were you? How much of a mental stress was it when, you know, your agent said you were signing somewhere and it, it didn't quite uh, happen right away. It's a mental pretzel. Yeah. Like I told my teachers in school, like I'm leaving, I'm going to play pro. And then, you know, it's the next week and they're looking at you in class. Like, yeah, right there, big guy. <laughs> that paper still do. <laughs> You're still here. Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it was very, you know, it, I guess it was what it was. And then, um, we did end up there and, uh, you know, I wasn't in good enough shape. I did not know how dedicated and how much pros pros are like to in the AHL. Those guys were shredded. They took care of themselves. Like we were kids that were having fun in college and were hockey players. We worked hard, but I didn't realize the extra you have to do. And that summer I lost 25 pounds and I was, I was ready to go the start of that next season, but I don't think, um, they wanted me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did get some games the next year, which we'll certainly talk about uh, in a moment. But, you know, but just joining that the, the crunch at that point was a really good team at the end of the year, too. I mean, they mm-hmm. were going to the playoffs. Oh, yeah. Is it intimidating? I guess what was your first impression? First of all, you, you jump into um, that, that locker room, you jump into Syracuse. What's the first impression? Uh, the first impression was um, like, you know, I, I hadn't been that many places in hockey. I'd been to Western Michigan. I'd played in my hometown. When I got to the AHL and I went downstairs in the Syracuse arena and went into the weight room, Mike Scroy was topless with like Muay Thai shorts on doing like spinning roundhouse kicks on the heavy bag, like spinning elbows and like being quite loud and boisterous. And quite frankly, I was scared shitless. <laughs> Understandable. That would be a little uh, intimidating. That was my line mate that day. So, you well, know, maybe it makes you a little more comfortable seeing him uh, after doing that. You, you got the little protection out there. too. Well, well, that's when they put the other big guys out there. So then I was out there with all the big guys. <laughs> Fair. Good point. Good point. Well, what was the group like, though, when you, you jump in there? Is it a welcoming environment? You know, you're coming in the team. There is- was some fantastic people, some absolutely unbelievable people. And they're the people that I invite to my podcast now. Andy Canzanello. Uh, the first day he he's a second year pro, I think at that point, but also a college kid that would know what it's like that first day of pro showing up, not really knowing what's going on. He invited me out to, you know, Qdoba or whatever, Chipotle. We went for lunch. He was great. And then, uh, you know, Jeff McMillan, another guy that stands out. There were so many great people 
with Syracuse at that point. And I guess that's why they're a good team. Like Mark Hardigan, Joe Motzko, the list goes on. There's some fantastic guys. Yeah, it was a, it was a really good team. Ended up losing in the first round. Did you have a, a welcome to the pros moment? Maybe it is walking downstairs and seeing uh, Mike Scroy, uh, you know, going after it, but it, it, was it that, or is there a welcome, welcome to the pros um, moment for you that you remember? I, to be honest, I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe all the fighting that was going on. I couldn't believe how big the guys were I was playing against. Um, the top two lines were like normal hockey players, but the fourth line, they were like, they were so big. And those were the guys I was out there with. And I just, yeah, it was, I I didn't play with the confidence. I didn't play like I was comfortable. And you know what? It was hard to be comfortable with those guys out there. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure. And you mentioned you had the one fight as well. Do you, you remember remember the fight? How'd it go? Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I had hardly got a shift uh, like every game. And um, there was a lot of fighting going on. And it was well out of hand. But I could tell the coach liked the guys that fought. So it was right at the end of the game. I, I finally got a shift. I'm like, well if fighting gets you shifts on this team, then that's what I'll go do. And I went and picked Francis Lemieux, who I ended up meeting in Germany later on, but I just went and yeah, I went and started once so that maybe the coach would realize I was willing to do anything too. <laughs> I th- I went back and looked at that game and I think there was like 190 something peddling minutes combined or whatever. Just uh, And when you're sitting on difficult. a bench with like two other guys and you still can't get a shift, it's like, well, <laughs> I gotta do well, something here. <laughs> yeah, I better do something. <laughs> I love it. Brent Walton is our guest here on Crunch Chronicles. You, you go into that summer, like you say, you do get that that AHL contract with the crunch uh, you spend uh, the next season, uh, 20, uh, 2006, 2007, both in Syracuse and in Dayton in the ECHL, uh, you know, just before we kind of dive into that year, what do you remember from, you know, that first full pro season of hockey, mostly in the ECHL, but uh, sometime well, in the AHL too. I guess I'll, I'm going to be honest. Cause that's what I do on my podcast. Right. Um, I lost all the weight. I completely dedicated myself, um, showed up to, the NHL training camp was put with the draft picks. Didn't get to skate with the real players. Could tell they didn't want me. Wasn't welcome. Uh, they sent me down after 48 hours. Um, and then I went to the AHL camp and I I knew I was good enough. I had seen the other guys. I knew what I could do. I was then in shape and fit as good as anybody. I finished eighth in Columbus's uh, training camp for fitness test. And that's not even a joke. <laughs> you can look it up, <laughs> but anyways, I go down there and I dominated the preseason. I'm pretty sure unless I'm misremembering, but I'm pretty sure I had about two points a game in the preseason, the preseason ends, everybody gets sent down from Columbus. And I remember the conversation just outside the basement weight room there. Ross Yates came out and I'm coming in for practice that morning. He says, it's the first day of the season. And he says, Wally, it has nothing to do with how you're playing. You're playing fantastic, but you're not playing tonight. (laughs) And I'm like, there you go. There's pro hockey for you. Yeah, that's got to be a, a, a tough blow to, and a tough pill to swallow, I'm sure, at that point. Uh, and, and it's hard for a young guy that's never really gone through that, that's always been the guy wherever he's played. And then all of a sudden, you you thought you had a great preseason and then because of contracts, he says like the contract play, well, isn't it about who's playing best, but anywho, um, then you got to go back to your hotel. You know, you don't feel comfortable. You don't feel at home. You can't even cook your own food and you're sitting in a hotel. Then you don't play that night. And then you just get bag skated every morning. And 
when you started out so well and you're so confident and feeling great. And then, you know, your mind starts playing tricks on you. And then all of a sudden, when you do get your chance, you're a little shaky and you do suck. And I did suck. I'm yeah, no excuses. <laughs> and it's something we always hear though, from players having that confidence. And and I'm sure if you had that confidence going and you were playing well and you get pulled out of the lineup, it, it, it rattles you and, and maybe you lose. And it's confidence. hard. And sometimes yeah. it's hard to get it back. Yeah. It's like those kids that start in the NHL now too young and they're 18, 19 and they get their chance then Well, they weren't ready then. And then all of a sudden it, plays tricks on their mind. They go down to the AHL and they never do get that swagger back. Right. Yeah. And, and we, I mean, these days with the crunch, we've been so fortunate with the Tampa Bay lightning. They, they let their guys, they don't call them up until they're ready. And and I think yeah. that has been a big reason why. And they probably communicate and tell them what's up and they yeah. know, and that they're, they're not so mentally fragile as me, baby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, but it's, it's so true. It's they're up front and you, you kind of know what to expect going in. I mean, maybe you get called up, but for the most part, you expect to be here and, and you can really put your full focus on things. If you're, if you know what to expect, expect going into a year well so for that that first year then um that so he told me i would get my chance he says you're for top two line player you're going to get your chance on the top two lines but you're not a third fourth line player so um they said they'd send me down to the coast for two weeks i'd come up and get my chance so then i went down for two weeks i get called up for my chance to be on the top two lines well motsko was hurt by the time warm-ups are over he says i'm good to go so then I play on the fourth line and then got sent down after. And uh, then I was in Dayton basically for most of the year until Syracuse was out of the playoffs. I never really did get another real sniff, um, but uh, I felt like I was on the Dayton bombers. That was my team. Um, we were a team down there and we went to the finals and yeah. almost won it. Yeah. You had a really good year down there. I mean, it, it, you, like you said, you went to the finals, you lost in the Kelly cup finals. What to be a part of that team, at least what, you know, what did that, what did that mean for you? Well, I learned how to be a pro that year. I learned about the bus rides and playing tired and uh three and three or five and six, what it was. And, you know, it's not that glamorous and, and minor pro it's not what a little boy dreams of. And, um, but like, I learned how to grind it out and I learned how to play. I think it was a hundred games that season. So um, I, I was, I was worn out though. And then I realized I wanted to go to Europe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so you played in Europe the rest of your career. Right? What, what everyone who goes over there always seems to have a great experience. Clearly, you know, you stayed there so long. You had a, must've had a great experience. I don't want to put words in your mouth, oh, but yeah. what was your experience like there in Europe as a whole? Well, I, yeah, so I ended up winning, um, in Germany, Denmark, the UK, uh, got my MBA, had two kids overseas. Um, yeah, had a time, (laughs) um, and you know, winning gives you fantastic relationships, but so does hockey in general. And that's how I start the podcast now is all the people I met along the way. And uh, it's amazing the the stories and journeys that everybody's is so different in the hockey world. And that's why I can do so many podcasts and they're never the same. And all the different places my friends have gone, like now the podcast has been listened to in 69 countries. I hadn't even heard of a lot of these countries. And, um, you know, that's the power of your hockey family, I guess. What country did you enjoy the most? And not to put any pressure on you here. I mean, each, I'm sure, was a great experience. Where did you enjoy, you know, your time the most? Well, it's that's like a trick question. I'd say <laughs> uh, Beatingheim when I first got there and we had a good budget. And then Landshut, Germany, in Bavaria. Like, both places are fantastic places to live. 
fantastic place to have family and play hockey. Um, and then at the end of my career, when I guess, you know, Germany didn't really want me back. I end up in Cardiff, Wales. Um, the group of guys we had on that team, the British guys, the British teammates you have, they were some of the best people in hockey. Um, and I, I loved every second of my time in Cardiff. Yeah. I know you went back there. What was it? Uh, was it this past year? You, there was a, a uh, something. They've or... I, yeah. They've actually, I'd be back twice now <laughs> since I've been retired. They had the, a Wally night in 2019, which is bizarre. I only played there one season and then <clears throat> got uh, hurt the second year, which was my last year of hockey. I got hurt in November and then, uh, you know, had two kids and had signed up to play for the year. And then I could no longer play because of my knee. So <clears throat> did some pregame speeches dressed as superhero or spray painted naked as superheroes for the boys <laughs> just to get the boys fired up for games. Things Anything you have to weird. do, right? <laughs> well, you got to stay involved, right? Yeah. I couldn't play anymore and I had to be a part of it. So I would do the pregame speeches and they were legendary. And uh, then I was the power play coach and tried to stay involved and help the boys win. Uh, and then a friend of mine this last summer, Matthew Myers had a testimonial game, which is after 10 years on the club, they host a game and you may get, he gets all the money from. Um, so he brought me over as one of his teammates. Uh, he was my centerman when I was there. So it was fun to play hockey again, just for fun and see all the boys. It was quite the time. Brent Walton, our guest here on Crunch Chronicles, talking about his time with the Crunch, talking about time over in Europe. If you look back at your, you know, your career as a whole, what sticks out to you? What's a, you know, a big moment for you in, in your career as a whole that, you know, you really look back at and go, wow, that was that was pretty cool. Well, the championships I won is what I remember. Um, losing with Dayton in the finals. I, I learned what it took. I already knew winning in junior in Elmira. Um we had won it. I knew the feeling I, you know, want, people say it once you've won, you just get addicted to it. And I am, <laughs> that's why I do so many podcasts too, is because they rank us every day. Um, so anyways, um, Germany, we finally won the championship. I'd been in the finals, my first three years pro Lance, we lost in the finals in overtime of game five, of the best of five. And then the next season we ended up winning it and beating Heim and the parade and the celebrations were just incredible. And then I guess I didn't win for a lot of years and we weren't even making the playoffs. And then I did win again in Denmark, which uh, was a big day to get to win again after a few year lean years, you could say with a smaller budget and beating Heim and then winning in Cardiff. They hadn't won in a lot of years. They got new owners the year I got there. And uh, we won a trophy, and uh, to see what it meant to those people was incredible. Yeah, what's the uh, the atmosphere like at those games? I mean, we always hear it's 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 a totally different vibe than you know games in uh, in North America. What was what was it like for you to to play in in you know in Europe and in, in in the atmospheres that those those crowds provided? Um, that the, every country was different. Germany's fans were, yeah next level with the drums topless fireworks um and then the uk they're trying to get the the, the flags and drums going but like they're so passionate about their team like it is their nhl and they they love their players like the people in north america love their nhl players and their nhl stars like and that's why i can have so many listeners is because in the uk these fans are that passionate about the game and but not just the game but about the actual people playing it before we let you run here, uh, Brent, and we appreciate your time, of course, we got, uh, you know, just looking back again at your time at the Crunch, 
anything that stands out to you on a, you know, a fun story or just a final closing thought, your time in Syracuse with the fans, whatever it might be. Well, you know, that is the only time in my life that I was on a team with two guys that won the Stanley Cup that year. Mark Hardigan and Joe Motsko, they're great guys, great teammates. Um, I wasn't really with the team that much, but like I knew them when I was up there, two of the guys that reached out and helped you feel at home and were good dudes. Um, they got traded and won the Stanley Cup. And I remember watching them lift the Stanley Cup. And, you know, when you've been in the coast most of the year, but you you also played with those guys. You you think you're kind of close, but then you do see like your friends actually lifting the Stanley cup. And as a kid, seeing people do that, you never would have guessed it'd be your buddies doing it. Yeah. That's uh that's gotta be something uh, pretty neat to see. There's, there's no doubt about that. And then, you know, finally just going back to the podcast, two ales and hockey tales uh, for the folks listening to this, how can they uh, follow along? Where can they, uh, where can they find it? And, and anything else you want to add about the podcast? Uh, well, it's two ales and hockey tales with Wally and it's on all your normal podcast spots. Um, no, I, I just love it. I love, uh, my, my buddies. I love my teammates. I love the good people of hockey and it's amazing what it's become. Cause I just thought of it that I wanted to catch up with my friends. Um, we've done raffles to raise money for charities, and different people around the world. We just finished one for a, a fan of the Sheffield Steelers where I never even played, um, he had a massive stroke and his son reached out to me. Who's a kid just trying to take care of his dad. And we ended up raffling off this Jersey right behind me. And, uh, you know, that Jersey there raised 585 pounds. So like almost 900 Canadian. And wow. to think I can do that by having a couple beers with my buddies is pretty wild. <laughs> yeah, that is, that's awesome. That's really at the end of the day, what it is all about. That is uh, great stuff, Brent. And we, uh, that, that's really cool to hear and, uh, and good on you for doing that. And, and uh, we wish you continued success with the podcast. Thanks so much though, for doing this today. Hopefully you enjoyed uh, catching up about your time with the crunch and, and everything else. And uh, like we said, good luck with the podcast and good luck with everything else. Well, thank you. And, you know, I wish I would have done better when I played for Syracuse. I wish I would have left more of a mark, but, you know, maybe uh, I can do that now podcast. (laughs) (laughs) There's no doubt about it. Thanks again, Brent. Okay, thank you. There he is, Brent Walton. We thank him for giving us the time and encourage you to check out his Two Ales and Hockey Tales with Wally podcast. We'll link it to the show notes for today's episode. If you have any Brent Walton stories, we'd love to hear them and share them on an upcoming episode of the show. You can send in a voice memo to me via email, lfavali at syracusecrunch.com, and we'll share them on an upcoming episode of Crunch Chronicles. That'll do it for this week's episode of the show. Thanks again to Brent Walton for joining us. For all of us with the Syracuse Crunch, I'm Lucas Favali saying so long for now. We'll chat again next week on another episode of Crunch Chronicles.